you're listening to How I See It, hosted by Han. You guessed it, that's me. I am here to motivate and inspire you with guests from all different industries and backgrounds. So get ready for personal stories of success, of growth, full of highs and lows, and of course, unapologetic realness. This is How I See It. This is so exciting, honestly, because I feel like a huge part of like even getting here was starting my journey with you. So this is weird. This is like full circle moment right now. It is. I'm so, I I don't mean this to sound condescending, but I'm just so proud of you. You're such a beautiful woman inside and out and pictures don't do your beauty justice. (laughs) And I've seen the growth, the transformation it's just remarkable. You're the voice of a generation. I've always said that to you, and you have a lot of great work ahead. Thank you. I'm so Thank excited. you for inviting me. Of course. I'm <laughs> so excited. Um, but I guess I just want to start at the beginning and jump right into it. Just your story. I know I've heard bits and pieces, but just what got you to where you are now and how you started rest. At a young age, I was born in Montevideo, Uruguay. And I am the daughter of generations of immigrants to South America. And Montevideo is a tiny, tiny little country right way, way south. And my family immigrated from Europe and Italy and Switzerland. As you know, I'm working on a book. Yes. So it's going to be epic. I'm excited. The narrative of rest really transcends my own life and my own generation and as you well know when I work with clients and patients at the cancer clinic I try to help them look at their life different our stories do not belong begin at home they really begin in the home of the home of the home of our parents 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 so something I think that was gripping at a young age and it just hit me recently as I'm having to think about things differently in writing a book is that in 1959, January of 1959, (laughs) Fidel Castro overthrew Batista, the existing government in Cuba. And at the, after that point, he went through South America rallying for support for the revolution. And my grandfather was secretary of education in Montevideo. And all my uncles and my fathers were all educators. But you know what? My dad was at that rally at the university. And he said, I looked into his eyes and I thought, this guy's a dictator. I've got to get my family out of here. But of course, everything's wrapped in promises and progressive ideology and freedom and liberty. And of course, history tells the story. Look what became of Cuba. Anyway, these kinds of trends have significant implications in all of our lives, right? So my father left, applied to the university for a grant to do research, and he could go to Italy, Switzerland, or Germany, I forgot, or the United States, and he picked the United States. So we left a country in political turmoil, a lot of confusion, chaos, and dis-ease, That's where I got those words, by the way. Mm -hmm. And we came to one experiencing a civil war of values. And I remember when he finally moved the whole family here, which was in 1967. So I was only seven years old now. I remember 
I went to an all-black school, and we were one of only a few, a handful of Caucasian students there. And one day we were walking home from school, and in the 60s there was so much racial tension, and the pivot had begun, the division had begun. And I was a child, but I knew something was seriously wrong. And crying, thinking, I don't hate them, and I know they do not hate me. And I remember thinking, somebody's lying. Somebody's lying. And that theme, confusion, chaos, and dis-ease, is all around us. It's part of the human condition. And that whole concept that somebody's lying became central to how I reasoned. And it helped me flush out my thoughts and ideas about things. And, of course, I'm raised by an educator. So guess what we're doing every dinner? (laughs) Reasoning, talking, talking, and he's teaching us how to reason. The bottom line is little did I know the impact that these early formative years and the lives of my ancestors ultimately and these formative years in my own life, how would impact and really shape much of what is now my life's work. Fast forward, my, we zigzag through the United States, come to California, because my dad thought the East Coast was too much for him. He loved the ocean and loved the sun and sailing and whatnot, so the first place we went to was Carmel. And then we ended up, we landed here in Orange County, but in L.A. County, excuse me. My mother left us shortly after. She couldn't. She never really recovered from the conflict that was arising in our own country and my dad saying, no way. And it was a a brutal departure because one day we were getting ready to go to school. I couldn't speak English, of course. We had just, you know, we were still reeling from all the changes. And I saw her with my dad's best friend kissing him. My dad's, one of my dad's closest friends that he was helping, by the way from South America came and I saw them kiss and I remember feeling like somebody shot me. It's so hard to at that age too. And your body will always and forever remember that. So betrayal is a, an injustice is a real hard thing for me to swallow. That's my hunger. My hunger is for justice. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. We're going to talk about that one of these episodes. Yeah, we're not getting into yes, that I, conversation. No, but, yeah. but, it, but it shaped me. You talked yeah. about the, how I got to rest Yeah. from the confusion, chaos, and disease that, I, disease that I saw, from the trauma that I experienced when I was in New York. And God bless us all. We were all saying, what the heck is going on? And then coming to California and watching this, it was like justice and integrity and truth. So sure enough, I come home from school that day with my brother. By the way, when I got to school that day, Hannah, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my teeth were chattering, fear, grief, and I was trembling like this. I don't think people fully understand what happens to their physiology and their anatomy when they experience a traumatic event. So the trauma stays in the tissue. The issue's in the tissues. I know. I was just going to ask you to get into that too. This I, We're going to go in and out of your story. We're going to go, gonna go everywhere. But I do want to make a point. I, I do want to say something that I think is important. Yeah. After my mom left, when we got home from school that afternoon, she was gone. 
My little sister was gone. She was gone. Everything was gone. I had asked her to go do laundry with her. It was laundry day. And mm -hmm. to let me go, because by the way, I was like a fanatic organizer. <laughs> I love order. I like to fold and plan and organize all that. But I couldn't understand why she was taking my three-year-old little sister, three and a half, yeah. almost four, and leaving me behind when I knew how to organize. Now, remember that the, what I had seen earlier that day. Yeah. But somehow I was disassociated from it. Yeah. dissociated from it and you were like a kid and I'm a child and I knew something was very wrong and those of you who are listening I just want you to be kind to the child within you Dr. Richard Schwartz let me deviate here love it because we're all experiencing deviate. so <laughs> deviate <laughs> we gotta carry on carry on Dr. Richard Schwartz from Harvard wrote a lot about family system and parts and people break like objects break. And when something shatters our sweet soul, souls, our hearts, or the innocence of a child, literally parts shatter. And one of the most intriguing, fascinating, and rewarding things I do is I help people find those parts and bring them back into the core. I'm not going to get into how we do that right now, but I have a lot of resources to do that very quickly. You don't have to be in counseling for years. Yeah. But now I know that's what happened to me. And when I came home, that part that broke it, that trauma was not present in the room at that moment. It was my core that felt insecure, of course, and not trusting. Mm -hmm. Right. But justice and integrity. So that night, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. She's not home. She never came home. My sister didn't come home. She didn't come home. And my dad would work till 10, 30, and 11. And it's like somebody just pulled the rug out from under me, and I'm free falling. And I just didn't know what had happened to my life. They tried to reconcile. It did not happen. And she ended up leaving. But they wanted us to choose. My dad said, this is not going to work. Mom's leaving us. She's choosing to leave. And we want you get to choose who you want to go with. And Hannah, I'll never forget saying, no, no, I will not choose. This is an injustice. I didn't have those words, but I looked at them and I was weeping. How do you rip a family apart? And I realized what a deep thinker I just was as a kid. You know, it's like, what do you think you're doing? What do you guys think you're doing? No, I will not pick. And my mom said, I can't take her with me. And you know, I'm driven by convictions. And yeah. one of the greatest motivators, as you well know, is your generation, Hannah. That's why it's been such a privilege to work with you. Because this was in the late 60s, right? I just see what's happening in the heart and soul of this nation, which is the family. And the confusion, here we go, the confusion, yeah. <laughs> chaos, and dis-ease, and the lies that people are feeding us through propaganda, through entertainment, through fashion. You and I have vigorous conversations about this. And, and I'm thinking, where's the outrage for the injustice of the confusion, chaos, and dis-ease that often drowns us? What does it take for us to say no more? We've reached over 300,000 people. 
through my podcast. And my demographic, as you well know, Hannah, I don't know if I told you this, but we have really accurate statistics now. It's between 22 and 47. So nothing brings me more joy because I want everybody listening to know, go into that quiet, still place of the innermost parts of your soul and find the strength and courage to examine the foundations that shape your life without judgment, without mm-hmm. judgment of people, but with discernment and love and compassion for yourself. Cry, weep, and document your highest ideal for yourself and what you learned. And you will find purpose in that pain. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's what you made me realize in my journey. Yeah. I've never heard like the full story of it all. And I think it's really powerful and cool and explains a lot about you. Inspiration is always our our story, my story, right? I'm inspiring people, hopefully, with my story. But we instruct with our story and as we speak to our common humanity. And it's so interesting you say that, too, because I even talked about, like, in the trailer, like, how we tend to isolate ourselves in our story. And, like, everyone has a separate story, and we tend to isolate ourselves in it we can't get through this or that we can't work through the depression and anxiety we have or the trauma we faced because it was that bad. But that's why we absolutely can. It's what rest is all about. And I think every child has a tender, tender heart. We need to be careful not to dismiss those things. And that's why I'm inviting your listening audience to be intentional about going through the layers of their own story and document, let's say from the time you were born to the age of 12, what were those markers? Write them down because bef- by the time I'm done, I have uh, not an assignment, but a challenge. A challenge. Always with assignments. Oh, uh, Always. It's like assignments every week in therapy. No, but so, okay. So flash okay, forward. So mom, so mom leaves. My mother leaves. Yeah. And this was in 1979, Hannah. If you would have told me we would be where we're at now. I never thought I would be this. I'm 62. I was born in 1960. I never thought I would be seeing the things I'm seeing happening in America now. The confusion, the chaos, disease, and mental health being the number one health crisis we have in America. Never, never, never in a million years. I knew it was coming, but I thought I'd be an old woman. So I am as, old. Well, but no, not, you're not. I, I am. Well, but so as not, you went into so, college, like moving right. through that. So, so I you, went into college and I thought, well, I knew for an absolute fact I'm going to be an attorney. I have to. I have to be an attorney. I can't just take all this from America and then just leave. I'm going to get my law degree here. And I used to read case books for fun. <laughs> uh, I love the study of law because I have a hunger for justice. But then I realized I was really getting bitter and angry. And that was an interesting little seed. But as fate would have it, that was not possible. So I thought, I don't want to get into that rabbit hole. It's another story. But it was not going to be possible for me without violating my conscience. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do to be to make a significant contribution in my day and age to myself, to my family, and my sphere of influence? And I thought I'm going to study psychology. Holy crap, that was a black hole. And by the time I got to graduate school, I stayed in the course of psychology, but I realized I'm having all these debates and arguments with the books and things. Something's not right here. And then I realized 
if you don't account for the spirit of a man and the polarity that we find in that information system, that quantum field of energy, which is kind of like the spiritual realm, mm-hmm. right? Between good and bad, right and wrong, light and dark, angels and demons, God or Satan. I don't care. I'm not talking about what I'm against. I'm ta- I want to just discuss what I'm for because that's ultimately what drove the conviction that we can all step into a place of rest and live free is my understanding of philosophy, theology, and how the soul works through the brain and the body. And the reason that became important to me, philosophy is just what's true and what's not. Theology is God is or God isn't, right? Psych is psychology, is study of the soul. But then my emphasis was in neuroscience. I was at UCI. And then I think, well, what the heck? What's it all for? Well, the body, to keep the body alive. So at UCI, I realized many years ago, and when I was starting graduate school, after I was going into a master's PhD program, I realized, wait a minute, if you don't account for the soul of a man, and you can speak to that without being censored, how the hell are you ever going to help address issues of the soul, the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, the feelings? The constitution of the soul is what has to draw information from this quantum field of energy and make decisions of conscience, which are value-ridden. And the consequence of that is going to manifest in the brain and have consequences in the body. And I'm sorry, that's a mouthful. Dumb that down for everyone. (laughs) Rest. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. And I think it's a perfect segue into what you do at rest. So when I realized that it wasn't going to happen in law, and when I realized that I saw the limitation, limitations in psychology and in neuroscience, there was this dis-ease. That I call it a divine discomfort in my heart. And it caused me to put the big pause button on everything and say, wait a minute, you need to start reasoning well about the things you know. And then you need to find the significance of that process before you go any further. And then find significance in reasoning. And it was in that pilgrimage that I realized that we've compartmentalized all the disciplines. For example, every, everybody specialized now. Mm-hmm. We no longer had platforms where we saw the art in music, the music in art, the math in art, the art in math. The philosophy and theology and the theology and philosophy, and we did not have this well-rounded perspective of reality. One day I asked my clients, um, they were clients, not patients at the clinics, but what do I do for you? And every single one of them said, hope, rest, peace, you help me think differently, reason differently, and I'm at rest, I don't want to leave. And mm-hmm. that's when I knew rest. It clicked. I invite people into a place of rest, relational, emotional, and spiritual truth. I love that. And it's so important. And I began to realize that what I really did is I speak to the philosophy and the theology and how our very formation, our very constitution, how the soul works through the brain and the body. So I invite people into this place of rest and invite them to put all the pieces of their life on the table. And together we reason 
through relational, emotional, and spiritual truth in order to displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in their life. And you for sure did that for me. <laughs> and you're still doing it for well, me. You have an amazing story. I think it's so powerful that you said that um, people would come in and say that you bring them hope and peace because I think that's what everybody's looking for, especially mm-hmm. when they go into therapy. And if you've been through, whether you've had a chaotic childhood or you've been through trauma or whatever it is, you're struggling, struggling with anxiety and depression. Like everyone just wants to feel p- at peace and have hope. I feel like I always use the word with you normal. <laughs> like I just want to feel normal. Um, but that, that's what people long for. And I a think like, and hope, yeah. yeah. And I feel like you helped me get there. I do want you to talk about what, because I just think it, it provided me with so much insight on like my healing, how the nervous system actually works. Cause that was a huge part of my journey was like breaking down well, um, those things. I want you to think about yourself as a triune being. You have the spirit and in the spiritual quantum field that surrounds you, that's an information system. Mm-hmm. That information system is governed manipulated in large part and used by your mind, your heart, your will, your conscience, your feelings. And the mind is here is a function of the soul. The brain is a function of the central nervous system, the autonomic nervous system. Feelings and emotions are not the same thing. So you've got to understand there's this narrative about you and what you're doing here and life There's another narrative you have about yourself and the experiences you have from the people you know, where you were raised, your family, whatnot, your identity. And then there is another story that you're carrying in your very anatomy. Yeah. And that's what's crazy. It is crazy because you know what, Hannah, I've never, I never connected these dots until right now, but think about it. My, I was six months old when all the political upheaval happened in my country, but my mom was pregnant with me. My mom and dad had rigorous conversations about what was happening in our country, what we're going to do, and are we going to stay there? Do we want to give our kids a better life? I was born six months after that. And I want everybody to know the psychology of the parents becomes the biology of the child. 100%. 100%. German New Medicine, the work of Dr. Hammer. I'm going to have fun resourcing this audience with various other things. But for now, let me just leave it there. So there's these three narratives. The anatomy of disease, dis-ease, is the disparity between the story that you carry, and it didn't begin at home. It began in the home of the home of your parents, parents, parents. Okay? Yep. And so there's a lot of complex things going on while you're being formed in your mother's womb. The story you tell yourself from the experiences you have and whatnot. And then there's something in here that says, I was meant for more than this. There's something valuable about humanity. There's something sacred. And that comes from this. And so as I'm able to bring those things into alignment, I see miracles. And I will give you an example. I had a call two days ago from a girl that I know very well. She went to see her counselor. And she gets therapy from her counselor, insurance covers and whatnot. And she'd had a really, really hard day. And she did a really big thing. She decided she could no longer work at the place of employment because it violated her conscience. But this girl, for whatever reason, cannot continue being employed there. And so she gave her notice. And they said, no, you're so valuable. They began to appeal to her affections to stay. 
and everything in her said no, no. Well, she comes from a very chaotic home, really tough, 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 dark developmental stuff as a child, right? So she doesn't have a real backbone. But this was a big, big thing she yeah. was doing. Well, she couldn't say no to them. So when she left, she hated herself. Why did I do that? Why do I let people? I said no, and they said yes, and I couldn't quit. And da da da. So by the time she got to her counselor, she's undone. And so she's suicidal. She's exhausted. Life has been hard. And so she goes to see her counselor, and all this stuff the dark, the guilt, the shame, the regret, right? Where is it? It's all in the body, it's all in the anatomy. It's all, right? So even though she's saying, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to get through this, her, her central nervous system now takes dominion and control over this whole narrative. And she's crumbling. They want to admit her, admit her into a psych ward. Somebody had the presence of mind to call me. Yeah. And I said, hold on a second. Let me talk to her husband. Talk to her husband five minutes. I knew exactly what had happened without anybody, without too much information. And they brought her in the next day. And Hannah, we did Evox. And by the time we were done clearing just physiologically neurological debris through a number of modalities that we use it's like she's a different flipping human being it's no like what happened to it her? is i mean we and you can graze you, you can, i mean yeah we can graze over that a little because i do want you to explain like what evox is and i'm really glad you brought up violating your conscience because that was something that we really worked through a lot of my struggle was because of the violation of my conscience growing up and just when you have to do things that you don't want to do or that you know aren't right you start to develop bodily stresses it and builds trauma up in debris yeah it's like debris so when we did evox we did evox for a oh long time gosh. so can you just, i can't explain it okay like you can so. i will say this about our experience we call it it's a perception changing index i use a perception changing index and the thing that impacted me and hannah you laugh at me all the time because i don't think a time there isn't a time i set eyes on you that I don't remember how stunned I was. <laughs> Hannah came, ladies and gentlemen, and <laughs> she, you know, was at a crossroad. It's time to become an adult and really step into I, re- That's nice. I was unwell. You were not well, <laughs> but you wanted to step into healing and wellness. I think I was facing this dilemma that it's like you either are miserable forever <laughs> Or you just want, like for me, it was that crossroads of like, I'm going to be miserable forever. I had told myself a lie that I was never going to get better. I talk about it in my first solo episode a little bit. And I talked about, you know, there may be people listening who struggle with depression and anxiety. My personal story is that I thought those were things that I was going to have to battle with forever. I love, I love what you just said. And it's, it's that conversation and engaging and really a dialogue with yourself of misery. And that's why rest has to separate those narratives. And that's what I help people do. What was happening to you, Hannah, it's the whole body, toxins, insults, um, debris, if you will. What it does is it just compounds in your body as a house that you never vacuum. Into your nervous system. Into your nervous system. And it imprints and it changes brain patterns and whatnot. But what happens is the central nervous system basically just assaults the life of your very soul and it says I got this I got this and you got to the age where you said no you don't as a matter (laughs) of fact hold on a second there are other parts in here your soul and I'm not well I'm not feeling comfortable and then when you find the strength and courage to do that to say that 
to acknowledge that, to embrace that, then you know what you do? You can get to work. And so we just want to shift the balance of power. How about that? Yeah. So that your spirit, your soul, and your body have a balance of power, like the executive, legislative, and judicial branch. Yeah. I love history and government and stuff. I had to throw that in. No, but But I'm sorry. I distracted you. So getting back to, so what, just so people understand, because it's so hard to, it's, I guess this is recording, so you can't see what we're talking about. But Evox is like this. It's like a a perception changing index, and it basically picks up. You put your hand on like a a cradle, a cradle. And if you go to virginiadixon.com and you look at resources, we have a whole explanation of it and a picture of it and whatnot, but it's really transformative, but it's like a typewriter. You don't go buy a typewriter because you're going to write a great paper or a camera. I'm going to start taking great pictures. I'm going to get a certain camera, right? As a matter of fact, there's a funny story. I have to tell you this, Hannah, because you're (laughs) an amazing writer. But the, this reporter and this writer met for coffee, and the, the, the writer says, oh, I saw the pictures. What kind of camera? I got to get a new camera. What kind of camera do you use to take those magnificent images? And he says, you know, funny you should ask. I was wondering what kind of typewriter you used. <laughs> do you get it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and so it's not like you can just go spend ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 and get this thing and it's going to work magic. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. I, you have to have an understanding of anatomy, of physiology, of some things and of story and narratives. But what it does is it does scan your entire body and it tells me where the congestion and the debris is registered. And because the brain runs very specific organs and parts of your body, that information plus the information of your brain connected to the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience, and vibrations and frequencies and how they all work together, it gives me affirmations, it gives me reports, and it tells me with great clarity exactly what we have to release. And I just want to say one more thing about you, Hannah, (laughs) that I never got to finish the story. Hannah is the only person out of thousands of people that I've ran Evox scan on. She is the only one that had so much pain in her joints. That's how fucked up I was. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, you know what? Detoxing. Yeah. It's detoxing. Well, and I Massive think- detoxification. Because when you're carrying that kind of stress, you, you your inflammation markers are likely high. No, yeah. And I think there was that. And also just a willingness to... For me, at least, it was just this moment where I looked in the mirror and I think everybody has to kind of do this if they want to heal. You have to look in the mirror, stop blaming the people that you're blaming for whatever crap you are trying to deal with. So for me, it was how bad my depression and anxiety was. Like I thought it was something I was going to have to live forever. And the way I coped with it was by blaming you know, my childhood, whatever, which, yeah, like that was how it developed. But I think I'm like an adult now. And it got to a point where I was like, I need to look in the mirror and address these toxic traits and habits that are starting to take over my life and I need to fix it or I'm going to be miserable and I don't want to be miserable. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least I tried. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like understanding that and like seeing how it was working in the beginning with you. It made me so, I don't know. I was just on fire to heal. I think that's what it was. So good. And it's completely irrelevant and unproductive to judge and condemn and spend one second of your time criticizing the dynamic that you came from yep. because they do and give all they have with what they've got. But now it's your life. Yeah. I was a runner. So I like to look at it as it's your leg of the race. I, we did relays, right? 
no, you get the baton now in time. I'm cheering my kids on mm-hmm. and we have the same issues everybody else has yeah. about different things. But, you know, they'll never have a glimpse of my story. They'll never understand what it is to have to leave everything, your country, and then be left by your mom. They'll never understand what it is to have to rise up and pretty much become a homemaker at eight and nine and 10 and 11 years old and do laundry while everybody's going to mm-hmm. games. They don't understand the convictions with which I had to, the conviction with which I had to live and the responsibility I had to embrace at a young age. So their judgments of me, their assessments of me are limited by the, their own experiences no, totally. and yours of your parents and everybody listening of their parents, right? No, totally. And I think that's why acknowledging that helps a lot in the healing journey, the healing pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. And we always say that word. And also just in regard to healing yourself so that you can start a new journey and break generational trauma. And I think that was a huge part of going in one open-minded to wanting to get rid of the lie that I could never heal. And three, understanding how my childhood affected me, how my attachment style affects me and manifests in your life yeah and learning from it so that I can be free and live at peace and I guess that's what I want to kind of like get into for the last part of our conversation I know we've said a lot and I love it because I want people to understand exactly what you do because it's changed my life well even how Hannah sees it I just have to interject this how Hannah sees it that is similar to the birth of rest, if you will, that it comes generational yeah. and it comes to a narrative and a lot of, I didn't just roll out of bed and come up with it. Yeah. You too. How Hannah sees it, that quiet, still voice inside of you that compels you to say, wait, I was meant for more than this. It, we do realize it through our pain. We do realize it through the conflicts and it, it's a beautiful thing because you can find the purpose in the pain. And I guess that's what your story, every time I think about you, is finding purpose and meaning and pain and and transforming it into something meaningful and life-giving for other people. And that's why I love that you're doing this podcast. I think this is your finest moment. Thank you. I'm so excited. And I I mean, like I said in the beginning, like I'm so happy that you're on because you're a huge part of how I was able to essentially hop over the hurdle. There was just like a wall and I couldn't get past it. And just dealing with my shit for lack of better word is what allowed me to be able to do that. And so I guess the question here is I know when I first started seeing you, I didn't understand anything about identifying attachment style and what are the first steps? Like I didn't understand or know, and you led me there. So in a summary, I know we can't get too deep into it, but what would you recommend? What, what's the importance of attachment style? Well, I've broken all this down in curriculum and in events and on our website, and I'm sure you can give them access to that. But when you think about attachment, that's how the whole central nervous system basically starts wiring itself. And I believe attachment begins in the womb. And whatever our mom and our dad are going through, whatever they're exposed to, whatever's happening, begins to really establish, if you will, some territory. It occupies some territory. (laughs) It's kind of woven into our anatomy. That's why, you know, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. We all have a conscience about this is right. This is right. Right. So we're all independently kind of dependent on each other, but the whole attachment and how the system wires itself, right? Even with me, for example, in the story we began with is I was born during really difficult times. 
So I intuitively have a propensity to reason and to care about systems. I value discourse. I value the exchange of ideas. Why? Because look what was happening in my life. And then look what I came into. My mom leaves me, right? That's like a vacillator. So I'll say this by way of attachment because we don't have time to get into everything. There are five fundamental attachment styles. And when my mom left, for example, well, let me explain attachment styles first. There is some research says there's 12, whatever. They can be encapsulated in these five, okay? Thumb up. Everybody put your thumb up if you're listening. (laughs) That is a compliant or a victim attachment style or compliant, if you will. And then your index finger, tap those fingers together like this. That generally tells me that you grew up in a chaotic home where there's a measure of massive confusion, chaos, and disease. This kind of home is not safe. The girl I mentioned a little bit ago, she grew up in a highly chaotic home. There's usually addictions involved. There's usually abuse. You know you're growing up in a chaotic home because you don't feel safe. So the child becomes very compliant to stay under the radar. Or they control, and at other times they control, they got to take care of themselves because nobody else is going to emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so they cocoon. That's chaotic attachment style. Middle finger is a vacillator. High highs, low lows. There's always been abandonment with a vacillator, okay? And a vacillator, sometimes they, if just for lack of a better word, it's a borderline personality or something that you don't know when they're going to snap. But they can be happy about something, but they'll turn and get ticked off on a dime. They, there's usually been an abandonment there. Um, right here, the ring finger. We love each other. We give each other a ring finger. That's a pleaser. When we get married, we want to please each other. We want to, right? Mm-hmm. Pleaser. And then the pinky is an avoider. The avoider had to kind of grow up independent because nobody was around. And they just are kind of on their own. They, had to, they, don't, they didn't feel the nurture and care in the same ways. Um, the pleaser, critical home. Anxious parents. Hi- hypervigilant. Helicopter moms create these are kids. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like everyone's again, like the, thinking the, about what they are as right. you're listing these off. But vacillator, again, yeah. abandonment. And right here is addictions, chaotic. So usually when a person starts telling me a little bit about their life, I already know what attachment style pretty much that they have or I know where to go so I, we can get to things quickly. And then when we do the perception changing index, then I'm able to flush so much energy and the body begins to detox immediately. That's, I feel like with my journey with you, that was kind of where we started. Yeah. That was like the first couple sessions. And I feel like understanding like your attachment style, it, it helped a lot. It made it easy to see like those patterns of like, oh, like I need to work on that because that's how I react as a vacillator or an avoider or whatever. And I think my hardest part was, and maybe you can speak to this a little, was trying not to like feel bad about my attachment style. Good. I'm glad you said that. Because I, I know hate mine. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I have the same one, but I know we have to no, you're think good. about closing here. I'm Are like, we okay? We're good. Keep we're going. Good? Okay. I'm like, they can um, turn us off if they don't want to listen, but I bet you they won't. <laughs> it's good. Hannah just made an excellent point. Every attachment style is common to all of us. 
at one point or another, look, we all consent to things sometimes that we know we probably shouldn't. And we can all be a little bit controlling out of fear sometimes, whatever reason we have to control. And we can all, you know, turn on a dime sometimes, internally or externally, right? And we all please sometimes Yeah. when we know I probably should have spoken up and I didn't, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And to some extent, we all avoid. Somebody walks in with a hideous dress you're not, and you guys are late. You're not going to tell you look awful. Yeah. Do whatever. That's a stupid example. But that's it. The thing is, everybody goes through all these. These are common to all of us as human beings. The thing is, that is your central nervous system dictating these reactivities? Or are they being governed and regulated and managed if you will, by your mind, your heart, your will, your conscience, your feelings, by your soul. So powerful. That's it. So what's in control? Your central nervous system or your conscience? I've talked a lot about my journey with people too. And I think it can get controversial when you talk about things like this, because of course there are cases where people need to be medicated. They need to go whatever. But for me, at least I feel like I am so thankful that I committed my time and energy to really trying to dig deep and work and figure it out. Because I do think if I would have gone to a psychiatrist, I probably would have been medicated at the time. And now like four years later, we've been working together for four years now. Can you believe that? No. Um, Yeah. I feel like I'm a completely different person. I'm completely anew just because of the hard work we've done together and the thing, the choices I've made to like choose, you have to choose, um, to not want to be a certain way anymore and to want to work through things so that you don't have to hold on to it any longer. And I'd say 80% of the people that come see me have are just so numb from medication and they're not well and they want to get off their meds. So we do have resources to help people try trait as well. And yeah. it's amazing. We identified attachment style. <laughs> we did. And then we talked about a little bit, not too much. We haven't gotten to that yet too much, but soul hungers. Yeah. But again, it goes back to attachment styles. Are you are you driven, which is a function of your flesh, your central nervous system, or do you make decisions about things that compel you from your deepest conviction? Those are different things. One will burn you out. The other will cause you to soar, and you will be like a dog with a bone. <laughs> you will not lose sight. And obviously, ultimately, thank God I didn't end up studying law because I would have been driven. It was easier for me to raise hell than to raise hope. And I realized that the hunger for justice is hate and contention. No wonder I wanted to be an attorney so I could argue all the time Yeah, and make my case. Isn't that so funny that I was going to be an attorney? I know because (laughs) you know what? Yours is justice too, I remember. But you know what? Your gift is long suffering. When you set out to do something, you will see it to the end. And so your listening audience is in great hands because Hannah, you are just a remarkable woman of substance and it's so fun to watch you grow. That's a huge part, I think, of therapy or whatever you want to call it as well is learning these things about yourself helps fix like an identity crisis almost. I mean, with all of this, your purpose, yeah, you find your purpose, but like there's like a lack of identity almost when you're struggling with these types of things. Or if you haven't processed, it's a childhood trauma. Yeah, it really is for lack of a better word, honestly, Mm -hmm. it's a slow death and it derails our lives and, and brings about pain that we don't have to live with you can get to a place especially through healing through rest it doesn't diminish or invalidate 
like what I've been through. And I think that's like a hard pill to swallow. I think myself included, it was like, I didn't want to let go of the pain and the suffering because it almost like invalidated like what I went through because there was no one else validating like what happened. And so for me, I was just like, okay, well, if I let go of this and act like I'm good and happy and I stop playing the victim for lack of a better word. And I don't, I'm, I can talk about it like that because I'm talking about myself. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm not going to be sensitive towards myself. Like if I let go, then I'm not going to have like this validation that it happened. And that's just such a lie especially anger. If I stop being angry, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. And with anger comes unforgiveness. And what do they say? It's the poison you drink waiting for somebody else to die. That's so good. It is. <laughs> and you know, what is bizarre? I know you to be, and I, I say this to you all the time, sensitive, kind, loving, tender person. But the pilgrimage in time that we individually have is really to blossom. And that is, is identified, it is birthed in the purpose we find in our pain for all of us. And so that's the, I just want to encourage people listening, take time to just sit down and think, what are those markers? What are those dots in my life? What were those instances? And I think, Hannah, you had very specific, you always had something to say, but you felt like somehow you couldn't <laughs> sounds, get it out. That sounds about right. Always have something to say. No, seriously. You do. And I can't wait for, <laughs> like, for everybody you do. to know the you that I know. Rest changed my life for sure. And I'm so thankful for you. And that's why I wanted you on to tell your story, which is literally insane. I've never heard the full story before, but also talk about what rest does and has done for me. Um, obviously there's people listening who, you know, aren't going to be able to like come in and see you. So what's something you think people can start with well, March 4th, I'll say this, we have an event in Newport Beach. We may be moving it here to the villa, which is just 20 minutes away. Um, so there's, if you go to virginiadixon.com, there's events and things. I have online curriculum and mm -hmm. things. And by the way, I meet with people for two hours every two weeks in a group setting, but it's incredible and it's this transformative Zoom. through Zoom. And you have a podcast. And free I therapy have a podcast rest with virginia dixon it's literally oh, free therapy it is people have told me that well yeah i mean the podcast is essentially free therapy because you're talking about all these different tools that you can use in your mental journey but you're also having people on to tell their stories people that you've helped with and i mean we've talked about it here and like we talk about it all the time in our sessions but like stories and words they they have power regardless if you're a christian you're a muslim you're a hindu it doesn't matter we are part of the human family. We all yeah. have a spirit, a soul, and a body, and we all want to be seen, heard, understood, and we want to live and love. And <clears throat> that's ultimately what unites us. But I tell you, it is an unbelievable, unbelievable experience for me to see the transformational consequence of rest yeah. in lives. It, it just is. I'm so thankful. What's one thing you think that, let's say, people can't, buy your resources. They can't come in person. The podcast isn't enough, but they want to move in their self journey. They want to deal sure. with their shit. What would you suggest for them? What's something someone can do who's feeling lost? Go to soulhungertest.com and go to howwelove.com. There's online assessments you can take mm -hmm. and you're going to understand your attachment style. It's going to explain their reactivity and the root and the source of their reactivity. 
people don't realize like if you're actually open-minded and you actually reflect and like read what these tests are telling you about yourself, like it's very easy if you are not in denial with yourself. You can't force people to want to go to therapy and to work on themselves and to deal with their shit. But if you actually do and you make the choice to want to get better, it's very easy to see in these like tests, Mm -hmm. like exactly what your problem is. And then have the courage and strength. And Hannah, I see you trying and laboring to do this. Have the strength and courage to begin to speak how you feel about something because feelings are a function of the soul. They emote through the central nervous system into behavior. For example, if you see somebody who's angry, what's behind anger is pain. The, the, The most prevalent feeling behind, it's hurt, it's pain, it's sadness, it's grief, it's loss. Doesn't that make anger look differently? Yeah, for So sure. if you cannot react to somebody's emotions, but you care about their feelings, the anatomy of that emotion, it'll change the trajectory of your whole conversation. You just have to be careful because those people are going to be very reactive because they're not balanced in all of their five yes. you know, resources. They're not balanced. They're being reactive. So don't take it personal. They're embarking on the same journey you are. So put people on notice in your inner circle and tell them, hey, I'm working on this. And if they say, oh, whatever. So now we have to be sensitive about your feelings. Say, no, I'm not saying that. You have to do what you have to do. I'm just explaining to you that I'm working on this because I don't want you to misunderstand me. See, always bring it back to you. We have a culture of narcissism and they gaslight, they turn everything around, they get you up, but it doesn't happen without your permission. So stop worrying about the narcissist in your life and begin to self-govern. Yeah. Listen to your own conscious. The boundaries for you, by the way, not for another person. You can't have a boundary for another person. The boundaries for you. You're the only person you can control. So if you're dealing with a narcissist, for example, because it's happening so much and I hear this so much, it makes me want to throw up and people are talking about the narcissist. Well, are you kidding? We have a culture of narcissists because idolatry. People's hearts are so into stuff, things, fame, you know, all this crazy stuff. Um, Basically, everyone's having an identity crisis, going to your word. (laughs) And so they become insecure and they manipulate and want to control things, people. But they can't control you without your consent, for God's sake. Yeah. So if you learn these principles of rest, then you're not deregulated by these external things. So take personal responsibility. And Hannah, you're just exhibit A. You've just done it. I have a lot to work to do. A lot of work to do still, but I appreciate that. But I like that. I want to encourage people. We can do that work in community. Also, when you take personal responsibility of yourself, it allows you to have empathy for other people too. That was a huge part of my journey too. And I think also, and I think what you've kind of gotten into here at the end is like, you can know what's going on. I think the first part is like addressing what is my attachment style? Where do I have issues? What am I trying to work on? What's my goal here? Why am I reactive? Why How do I yeah, react? There are all these questions. Yeah. And I think it's actually like fairly easy. Like I said, to identify what it is most of the time. I think the hard part is actually trying to live it out. Like you said, making boundaries, mm-hmm. making changes. Cause if you say like, Oh, I want to make a change. I want to make a change or I want to feel better about this. Mm -hmm. You have to actually practice it. It's like an exercise. You have to actually exercise new ways you communicate, new ways to react to things. Because when you know your attachment style, you can view these things and be like, okay, I used to react in this way when someone pissed me off. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to fix that because I don't want to be that person. But how am I going to do it? 
it's a habit I've built for how many years? Mm -hmm. How am I going to do this? And it actually takes work, <laughs> like hard work. It takes work. And there's tears and it's painful. And you'll find that the world becomes a lot brighter yeah. in spite of how painful it is to negotiate these things. Because your judgment is not for yourself or others. It's the discretion that you begin to exercise over all things. And by the way, that's wisdom. Yeah. And with that said too, like it is a really hard thing. It, it takes lots of yeah. hard work. It takes pain. There's tears. It's not cute at all. Um, no. But I think there's this misconception. It's not a cry pretty thing. Yeah. It's not a cry pretty. <laughs> I think the misconception though is, and we can end it here and you can speak to this too, because we've talked about it before. There's a misconception that like it is more painful to live with your pain than it is to actually deal because it is painful. It's really hard journey to have to deal through childhood trauma, to go through your story, to work on your habits, to work on the things you're bad at, to communicate, but it's more painful to not. The alternative will make you sick because think about your anatomy and your physiology, your central nervous and we're not going to get into all that right now, but everything in your life is fighting for life. It's think about every cell in your body. Think about your entire system. It's independently dependent, right? There's different cells that make up different organs and they have different functions by the mitochondria, the inside of each cell and the terrain, the, the, <laughs> the area between the cells. Think about it. Everything in your body is trying to always do what? Live and optimize your life. When you go to sleep at night, you go to sleep because you need to sleep. But you need restful sleep. When you have restful sleep, the body is doing a lot of work. Rest is not a state of inactivity. There's a lot of cleansing. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of things that are happening. So I just want to encourage everybody to just collaborate with laws of nature that are self-evident and speak to your natural affections and say, I need to step into rest, not just physically and psychologically, but emotionally, philosophically, and theologically. I need to bring these things into alignment to heal. And it's a worthwhile pursuit. Is that your how I see it? We end every episode with a how, like, how do you see it? If we understand principles of liberty that are a function of the soul, we can all live free, which is the consequence of liberty. I see that freedom and healing is available and accessible to everyone. If you have stage four cancer, if you're suicidal, you're depressed and you're anxious, I'm promising you that you can step out of that place. If you step into a place of rest, you will be free. I love that. That's how I see Mic it. Mic drop. You're like, that's how I see it. Mic drop. <laughs> that's a good ending. And I like that. No, it's good. It's like a little wrap up. It's a little, it's a it. therefore. Why are we here? Do you know what? You just have a beautiful mind. Oh, thank you. you. Thank That's you so for nice. Me. Of course. Thank you. And just tell everyone one more time where they can find you. Um, resources, um, the rest, Instagram. Um, Virginia, D-I-X-O-N.com. What's the, the name of the podcast? I'll put it all in the description, but just so people know. Thank you. And I wish everyone a year of rest in the midst of so much chaos. I'm like, we just want rest. You don't have to live in it. I feel like everyone's now going to be like, okay, where's her podcast? I need to, I need to start listening for my free therapy. What will my cancer patients, to be honest with you, were a huge inspiration for me to begin to speak about rest in the context of mental health and wellness, because 
in one way or another, every single patient that I worked with for over eight years, in one way or another, said to me, if I would have known these principles, I would not have cancer today. Yeah. The body can't fight the lies you believe about yourself and the insults it's carrying. There's environmental factors, obviously, nutrition. There's a lot of insults, um, toxic load that the body carries. It can't fight you, the lies, and the cancer <laughs> at the yeah. same time. Yeah, and we didn't even get into your part of story where you know how much you work you do with cancer patients. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's really powerful. Really, really powerful. So live free. Live free. Step Bye. into rest and live free. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you leave here feeling motivated and inspired. Do not forget to rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to follow How I See It Pod so you can keep up with podcast updates and see who's coming on next. And if you're not already, come join the fam and follow at How Hand Sees It. Thank you guys. <laughs>